You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. I had the honor and pleasure of chatting with all-around wonderful human being and author Robert Hafey. Robert began his writing career with two technical books called Lean Safety, the first was followed by Lean Safety Gemba Walks. In 2017, he published Boomhood, a baby boomer's free-range childhood. And most currently in 2021, he published Bumpin' and Snackin', Discovering a World View. This book takes the reader on a fun journey of discovery, self-planned travel experiences with food stories, that are used to uncover both the cultural differences and the common qualities of people. Seeking to gain understanding of others to better understand who we are is a journey worth taking. So sit back, grab your favorite snack and enjoy this very special episode. Welcome to Served Up. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Bridget, thanks. It's great to be here. Can you give our listeners um, just some information about your background? Well, I uh, worked in manufacturing most of my career. And about 12 years ago, I stopped working full time and I started my own consulting business. And it's a one man show. And it revolves around the continuous improvement of business processes. And the last year I worked, I wrote a technical book called Lean Safety. And so what that is, is the continuous improvement of safety. Because of that book and a follow-up technical book, I've had the opportunity in the last 12 years to travel a lot of the world. So places like China, the Ukraine. Australia eight times, uh, Europe, all over the U.S. and Canada. That's my work background. I grew up with eight brothers and sisters and uh, without a lot of money. But my interest has always been in food. I've had a really deep interest in food. And my port of entry or my start of that was the first Mexican grocery store that opened up on the east side of the town I grew up in. A friend was managing the store for his uncle. And when I walked in there at the age of about 15 or 16, I was blown away by the smell of all the dried chilies and all the different things. And from that point forward, my mother's meals became obsolete. I, I, my eyes had been opened. And so Throughout my life, I have cooked probably any food you can imagine from any culture you can imagine. And so for me, food is an entry 
to allow a conversation with anyone from anywhere in the world. It just opens your eyes. So the book I wrote, the last book I wrote, is Food and Travel Stories. You said you and Jamie are fans of it. So let me ask you, why are you fans? What touched you about those books? Well, let me tell you something, you know, for for those who are listening, Jamie is my husband. And we, you know, have traveled extensively in the world. Um, I myself as an individual have also been just about to every corner um, of the earth. And I do agree with you 100% that we learn so much through the culture of cuisine. I think we learn about people. We learn to set a lot of biases um, aside and yes. learn that we are more alike than we are not. And so I think that it's important to tell a story through food, which is why I and, and Jamie, you know, find your book and, and yourself so interesting. Um, not only have you written a book, but you're also this fantastic photographer as well. You know, I do follow you on social media. I love seeing your pictures and your favorites that you post that you've taken from around the world. And so, you know, my question to you, Bob, is, you know, when you were writing, you know, bumping and snacking. And let's talk about that fun title too. Okay. What was that journey like for you really reliving, you know, your, your adventures in food? Well, yes, the book is titled bumping and snacking and it has nothing to do with sex or drugs. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I actually have a friend that I grew up with who lives in Germany. When my wife and I first went to Europe, uh, we flew into London ourselves and spent three days roaming around London. And then we flew from London to Shannon, Ireland. And our friend and his partner uh, from Germany had ferried their car there. And they picked us up at the Shannon airport. And uh, my friend Dusty, uh, once we got everything crammed into his car, uh, he turned around and looked at us and he said, you two ready to go bumping and snacking? And that was his term for loosely planned uh, self-planned travel. You know, you get in a car or a train or a bus or you go urban hiking and you go until you're ready to have something to eat and you stop and you have a snack. And so it's really about exploring places and letting the culture rub off on you a bit. You know, it's not just seeing the sights. It's, it's experiencing the culture. So the back cover quote of bumping snacking, I'll just read that. It's short. But it says it takes the reader on a fun journey of discovery. Self-planned travel experiences and food stories are used to uncover both the cultural differences and the common qualities of people. Seeking to gain an understanding of others to better understand who we are is a journey worth taking. So it mirrors what you said, Bridget, that we have all of these biases and the overarching theme of bumping and snacking is, hey, get out there and travel, experience other people and their and their culture through food, and you will see the world differently. So that's really was the driver to write bumping and snacking, that overarching theme to help people understand the world isn't just your little corner of your small town. And I also in the book talk about the fact that you know, not everybody has money to travel and nobody 
I mean, everybody doesn't have that opportunity, but all of us can travel through food by going to Indian restaurants, Italian restaurants, Polish restaurants. You know, I live in the Chicago area, so there is a restaurant from every culture you can imagine in the Chicago area. So if you go to their grocery stores and those restaurants and you interact with the people there, you are traveling and getting a taste of cultures from around the world. I just think that's critical for people to understand that, especially in the political climate we've had in the last six years, because it helps us better understand each other and understand we're very much the same. If I could share one story that kind of brings it all together. About 2019, my wife and I, along with two travel companions, uh, went to Japan. And it was my first time in Japan. And I've always wanted to go to Japan because the consulting I do has to do, its foundation is from Toyota, which is a Japanese company. And it's based on respect for people. And if you go to Japan and you experience their culture, you really get to understand this respect for people culture. It isn't just that they bow at each other, but it's how you're treated wherever you go there. It's just amazing. We planned this trip, and our friends flew in from Colorado. My wife and I had been in Hawaii, so we flew right from Hawaii to Tokyo. We get there at 10.30 at night. We get to the hotel, get to sleep. The next morning, we meet our friends, and we walk to Tokyo Station, huge train station. And we get tickets for a Shikansen bullet train that's going to take us a couple hundred miles south to Miyajima Island, where we're going to stay, our first stop. While we're in the train station, we all buy bento box lunches. And we get on the train, and we had seats reserved. So Sandy, my wife, sits with our friends from Colorado on one side of the aisle where there's three seats. I'm on the opposite side of the aisle where there's two seats. And sitting next to me is a Japanese woman. Now, I don't speak Japanese. I don't think she spoke English. So we pretended to ignore each other or she pretended to sleep. And that drives me crazy because I love to communicate and interact with people. So we're about an hour and a half, two hours into our trip, and the four of us decide we're going to get our bento box lunches out, and we're going to eat. So we do, and my friend Mark from Colorado had picked up two small bottles of sake uh, before when he got his lunch, and so he hands one to me, and I didn't know he had that, so I had some sake with my lunch, and so uh, we finished up eating cleaned up the mess. I had rice all over the front of me because I'm eating with chopsticks. And I know the lady next to me was probably chuckling watching me try and eat with chopsticks. And about 10 minutes later, I remembered before I left Hawaii, at Costco, I had purchased a bag of dark chocolate squares that had bits of dried cherry in them. And they were just really good. So I stood up, got my backpack, got the chocolates out, and I passed the bag over to my wife and friends, and they both took one. The bag comes back to me. Well, because I was a little lit, because I had had this hockey, I, I hold the bag in my left hand, and I put it in front of the Japanese lady next to me. And with my, I extend my right hand out, pointing to the bag, 
She looks at me and she looks at the bag and she takes the bag and she reaches in and takes the chocolate. And she says something to me, which was arigato, which means thank you. And I felt really good. I had communicated with her through food, right? And and so five minutes later, I pass the bag back to my wife and friends. They take another piece. I again offer her a piece. At first, she gives me hands up, like, no, thank you. But I put my hand out. She accepts, takes another piece of chocolate. I was sitting there feeling really good because of that. I had broken through. I had communicated. About 10 minutes later, she stood up, and she gets her bag, and she gets a box out. And everything in Japan is packaged over the top. And she opens up the box, and she gets out these little paper containers. And she stands up, goes across the aisle, gives one to our friends, to Sandy, and to me. We open up the end of the sleeve and slip out. And inside is this cream-filled cake in cellophane. And so we're all going, you know, it's too generous. And we're, and she's, she's got the smile on her face that only a gift giver can have, right? And so we open up the cake and we eat it. And we're going, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so she sits down. And I get my cell phone and I put it in selfie mode and I hold it up in the front of the two of us and I take a picture. And it's one of the best pictures of the three weeks I spent in Japan because culturally it says it all. I broke through. So that's what food can do for you. You know, I, I have story after story about that in bumping and snacking. It said interactions with people around food that I think are so important. And that is a really beautiful story. And it does. And it really, you know, it sums it up. I mean, food is its own language within itself. Were there any cultures on your travels that maybe surprised you with their cuisine? Another story, I I was in Australia consulting and I flew from, I think, Melbourne up to Brisbane, got to the airport and took a cab to the hotel. And the hotel was outside of city center, as they often are. <laughs> We're like in a desert. And I, and I don't like eating in hotels. I'm going to go find something unique and different. That's just me. So I asked at the desk, you know, which direction do I have to walk to find some food? They said, you know, just go down this way. And there's some restaurants down there. And I walked. And it, you, know, you heard of Chinatown? Well, this was like India town. There are all these Indian restaurants, and I'm looking, and I see this place that the front of the store, the front of the restaurant was like as wide as a food stall, and it was narrow and deep, and they just had like two by twelves along the wall with benches, so you could sit and eat. There weren't really tables, and outside there was a little handwritten sign, and on it it said masala dosa, which is a southern Indian dish. It's like a big pancake. The pancake's made out of rice and lentils. And then they put this mashed potato mixture in the center, and it's rolled up. And it's just a delicious dish. They give you a couple of dipping sauces with it. So as I'm looking at the sign, an Indian woman in a sari comes out of the restaurant and walks up to me and says, and so I said, you still have the masala dosa? And she says, no, but we have a tali plate. Would you like that? And I said, yeah, I'd love that. So I follow her in and I sit down. It's a 
meal served with a bunch of little dishes. And so a tally plate is a big plate, and on it will be all these little containers of food. The meal is supposed to have sweet, salty, spicy, bitter, sour, and astringent dishes, all those different tastes. And so I, I sit down, and the first thing that they do is come up and set a banana leaf in front of me. And I go, ah, my plate. And so then she comes with this stainless steel tray, and there's a bunch of smaller containers on it. She dips into one and puts a dollop of pickle on the banana leaf. And pickle is this very astringent, salty uh, dish that they serve with Indian food. And she looks at me and she says, do you know why we serve the pickle first? And I said, no. And she said, well, it's because it's very salty. It'll make you salivate and you will not choke on your food. So that's interesting. Secondly, she dips into another container and pours something into a little plastic container and sets it on the banana leaf. And she said, that's your dessert. We always serve dessert next because we should always remember life is sweet. And so she went on and on explaining each dish. And then because she knew that I wasn't Indian, the last thing she said was, would you like a fork? And that's because the other two people in there were doing as Indians would do. They were picking up a pile of rice that was the last thing that went on the banana leaf and using their fingers to eat. And I said, yes. So she shared with me her culture. She shared with me this meal and why it was served in the fashion it was. And when I left there, was it the best Indian meal I've ever had? Maybe not, but culturally it was. And I felt loved just by the way she treated me in her little restaurant. There was no menu. It's only what she had cooked and she was serving it. So it was a unique cultural experience. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, you know, she opened up her culture to you, just like you would open up your home to maybe a friend. That's correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, Bob, I know that you are also a home cook. Yes. And that um, if you follow Bob on, on any of his social handles, sometimes you get a chance to see what he's up to in the kitchen. You can just see some of his beautiful dishes. Yeah. Can you talk about really then what led, you know, your palate and yourself into the kitchen to, to recreate some dishes and what are some of your favorites? Well, again, I grew up with eight brothers and sisters. So sometimes if you came home after the meal was done and you wanted to eat, uh, you were probably fixing something for yourself. My mother was a good cook and I, I watched her cook. And so when I was in my teen years, I started experimenting. And like most teenagers, I was addicted to sweets. And so I remember trying to make fudge from scratch and things like that. And then I went off to the Air Force for four years. I returned home and got my own place. And then it was time to start cooking. And so I did. I started cooking my own meals. I'm not a young man. And so... I grew up in the era when cooking shows were just starting to come onto television. So like Julia Child and all those early cooking programs that were on public television, I watched every one of those. I just ate that stuff up. 
And then there was a Time Life series of cookbooks that the cookbooks covered the world. There was a cookbook on every culture and their recipes. So I started exploring that. And like everyone raising young children, and I know you've been through this, Bridget, you know, we raised three daughters. And so that desire to entertain, uh, for me, I always said I'd rather spend money on entertaining and having people over and sharing a meal with people than have a big house. So we all have to decide where we're going to spend our money. And I could have had a bigger house than we had, but I preferred to have people over. So throughout my lifetime, I have invited friends and family over and spent, you know, spent two days prepping, <laughs> cooking things ahead of time and doing multi-course meals because it's a passion. It's what I love doing. You know, do I have favorites? I, my favorites have changed, you know, because as I explore explore different cultures or different foods, then I'll be cooking that, and that's my current favorite. <laughs> but I, I really have cooked food from all over the world. And because this is the Served Up podcast, I love the cultural aspect of drinks to go with meals. So a few years ago, we were in Scandinavia, and I had never tasted aquavit, but I did there. And so I came back, and I, I fixed a meal for some friends, and I went out and bought a bottle of aquavit. And then, wouldn't you know it, I'm pouring it over ice and drinking it after that. And it's really good. I had never had a drink flavored with caraway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So if you're in Paris, you're probably going to be drinking French wine. But if you're sitting on a corner cafe, you should have a glass of pastis, mm -hmm. you know, and you should be pouring that over ice and just sitting there for two hours watching people walk by. So wherever I've traveled in the world, I've always tried to drink local drinks. So my first meal in Ireland was in a small town on the western side of Ireland. And I had local salmon and mussels for the meal. And I had a Guinness stout, right? Of course I had a Guinness stout. Of course. <laughs> of course, right? Yeah. So wherever you go in the world, even local restaurants, if I go to a Greek restaurant in the Chicago area, I always have a glass of Retsina. Have you had Retsina? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the only wine that tastes like a Christmas tree, right? Yeah, yeah. It's flavored with resin from a pine tree. Mm -hmm. So most people go like, you know, like. they don't like it, but it's culturally what I should have with a Greek meal. So I always start with that. Bob, what do you say to those who might be, let's call them picky? Yes. You know, how do we help our listeners? They're like, ooh, I don't think that I would be so adventurous to taste that, but I'm curious. You know, how yeah. do you kind of get over that pickiness to open up this world? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I have 10 grandchildren, and it's funny. Some of them are open because uh, I have three daughters, and a couple of them love to cook like I do. And so they're cooking different things. And yet children go through those stages of, I don't like that, I don't like that. And I was that way as a child, too, with adults. And I have some adult friends that are that way. The best answer is, if you could try and get them to taste something, just taste something. And then I was just in I was just in Hawaii. I was in Maui for eight weeks. There's something there called a musabi. And a musabi is rice 
with a piece of spam that's been sauteed in soy sauce or maybe something else. And then it's got a piece of seaweed wrapped around it like you'd put around a piece of sushi. And it's a snack food there. Stop at a gas station, they probably have it. Like we would have hot dogs here. And a couple of years ago, a friend who's a picky eater, him and I and another friend who lives in Maui, did this hike over the top of a mountain. And it took us like five hours. It was a pretty tiresome hike. And so him and I got in my car. We're going back. And we hadn't had any lunch because we started the hike early and now it's like noon. And I said, you hungry? And he goes, yeah. I stopped at this local food store. So I'm going to get us something to eat. And I walk out with two musubi. They're wrapped in saran wrap and they're underneath the heat lamp in the food store. And I go, and Dennis looks at me and he goes, what's that? And I go, it's musubi. What's that on top? And I go, it's spam. And it's just ham, you know, just. And, and so he opened it up and I could see the look in his face, but he tried it. And he goes, wow, this is really good. It was really good because it had umami. It had that sweet, salty, all those different flavors. That seaweed had that kind of ocean flavor. It's just a umami bomb is what it is. And so now, you know, he was in Maui again this year. And I have him eating fish because he was never a big fish eater. And he just texted me about four days ago and said, hey, you know, you recommended going to Costco and getting the mahi-mahi frozen and because it comes in a bag and they're individually packaged. And he did, and he grilled some for himself. And so now he's cooking fish at home. For those of you that don't think you like different foods, you just need to try it. You know, and if you don't like it, you can throw it away. <laughs> but Absolutely. Yeah. But, but if you try it, you might like it. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of TV chefs, you know, travel shows with chefs. And it's funny, Bridget, that they all started out by going around the world and eating different foods, you know, kind of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. But Andrew Zimmerman and, mm -hmm. and others, they started out doing that, all of them. And then they start experiencing the culture when they travel. And then it changes them. And all of a sudden, they're interacting with people more than they are just eating. I, I've watched all these cooking shows and their hosts change. And they get to the same point I got to by writing, bumping, and snacking. And that was, let's look at the culture here and let's look at the people and let's get to know the people. And so if you have a, tr a chance to travel and you have a chance to interact with local people, and I know you recently traveled and you were in Italy and you took a cooking class, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if you're taking a cooking class, you're taking it from someone local. Mm -hmm. And now you're interacting with someone local. So we did that in Tokyo. And I learned more about the culture than I did about cooking from the lady who taught us because she shared so much about her culture in the class. The culture is the important part. And so the reason to try those new foods is to learn about those different cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, you just said something, you know, and it's also, you know, when you can learn from a local you know, kind of step away from those touristy areas. Right. And yeah. not be afraid to ask the question. I tell Paige that my our daughter all the time, you know, always ask the question, whether it's where where do you eat? You know, what do you recommend? Yeah. You yep. nine times out of ten and almost every time, you're gonna yep. find this hidden gem 
right? That's right. Since I consult, I was consulting in England, and there are three people from Portugal that were in the course. And so one of them, I went out to dinner with him or sat with him at dinner during the workshop that I did that evening. And we became connected on Facebook. And uh, so he knew I was supposed to come to Portugal to do some consulting. And he said, when you're here, come on down to my neck of the woods. You know, I'd like to show you around. And so he was just south of Lisbon. And so while we were in Lisbon, uh, I had contacted him ahead of time. And, you know, we jumped on a train and we went down there and he picked us up at the train station and he showed us around. And then he took us to his favorite little restaurant. This place only had like five tables, but he wanted us to experience the food in his favorite restaurant. So he introduced us to the owner and we had these these clams that were you know, only bigger than a dime, but a big platter full of them that had been sautéed with olive oil and parsley. And, and he ordered a bottle of his favorite wine, Portuguese wine. And then he ordered the seafood rice, which is kind of a bit like a risotto, only more liquidy, but it had seafood in it. And one of the things in there, it was a monkfish liver. And I've never eaten you know, fish liver in my life. And I wasn't sure I'd be a fan. And to be quite honest, I wasn't. But I ate it and then I tried it and it was okay. But, you know, it was a good experience. But having that local show us around, that's like the best experience there is in travel. Yeah, I I agree with you a thousand percent. I think that travel is very underrated. A lot of times we travel to to just go to get away and to escape, you know, and that's fine. But I think that we can also explore and learn and educate ourselves through travel. I feel like I've received the best education through traveling. And I know that not, like you said, not everyone can afford to, to hop on a plane, especially right now, plane tickets are ridiculous, but yeah. But maybe you can afford to go to a local market that's not of your culture or even surf a video on YouTube to learn about another culture's cuisine. There are so many um, options. And through that, I mean, you know, options to learn and to grow as a person yourself, you know, through those experiences. Right. I had a good friend who taught at a local university and he was same age as me. so. About the time I stopped working full-time and started my consulting business, he was backing off on his class load and cutting back and preparing to retire. In order to stay engaged with some of the, his peers on campus, he invited a few of them to go out on a Saturday for a Saturday lunch in Chicago. They went to this hot dog stand that was closing down. I think it was called Hot Dogs. You know, they put foie gras and hot dogs different things. And they did that and they had a great time. And so about a month later, I did it again and they went to some other restaurant. And next thing you know, I got invited. And and so it was all college professors and me. I was the only outsider. And we started going to all of these different restaurants from different cuisines. The best part was always the conversation because these, these people all taught different things. And yet, We also experienced unique cultures through food together. We went to three different African restaurants. We went to a Filipino restaurant. 
uh, Chinese, we went to Thai, we went to Vietnamese, over and over, did that for years. And we started calling ourselves the Carnivore Club because we, some of the restaurants we went to were kind of meat heavy, I guess. And so it was just women get together and share their feelings. And men often don't do that. But this Carnivore Club became that because we did it enough once a month, kind of, uh, that we really developed relationships that went beyond, you know, did you watch the Bears game yesterday? Mm-hmm. Kind of conversations. We really got to know each other and learn and share with each other. And so the guy who started this was one of my best friends, and I lost him a few years ago. And so I still have friends that he helped me make through the Carnivore Club, which is really unique. And so, matter of fact, this coming Saturday night, I'm going to one of those friends' house for dinner, right? Mm -hmm. So it's another food connection. He started this Carnivore Club centered around food. And what it really did is it brought people together. And the people he brought together, uh, one of them grew up in Nepal. Hmm. Uh, One of them grew up in Palestine. We've got this unique group of people that bring their own cultural aspects to the carnivore club. So it's been really unique and fun. And there's a chapter in Bumping and Snacking about that at the end, Mm -hmm. because that points out I didn't have to travel to have those food experiences to learn about cultures. I did it to those people and the restaurants we went to, right? Yeah, I love that. Can I do a lightning round with you? I've never done that on Served Up, but I feel like... Yeah, sure. A little lightning round. Okay, so I think I'm just going to ask you about what you would recommend or what your go-to meal is. Okay. And you have to fill in the blank, okay? so. Your go-to meal for breakfast? It's usually a little bit of granola, a bunch of plain yogurt, uh, walnuts, and then I chop up a couple different kinds of fruit, apples, pears, uh, strawberries, blueberries, and I chop up. But I throw all that together and I mix it up and and it's a big bowl and it holds me until lunchtime. What is your favorite takeaway or fast food? Uh, Right now, it's Korean fried chicken. Ooh, that's a good one, Bob. That's so delicious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really is delicious. What is your go-to dessert? Pie. <laughs> just pie. That's a broad, Any kind of broad pie? category. I just made a purple sweet potato pie when I was in Maui. And it's Wonderful. beautiful. Purple. Yeah. I can't believe you're in Maui on vacation and you're baking. That My favorite part of being in Hawaii was cooking for others. Because the pandemic stopped a lot of that in our house, mm-hmm. but because it's all open air there and you're eating outside, and uh, I, I just love cooking for people. What is your favorite meal to prepare? I don't know that I can answer that. Uh, lately, we've been doing beef bulgogi, another Korean dish. Mm-hmm. So that's been fun. Uh, during the pandemic, I bought the Milk Street cookbook. You familiar with Milk Street on PBS? Mm-hmm. Great cookbook. I bought that cookbook. So my wife and I were cooking different stuff, things we had never cooked out of that cookbook during the pandemic, just to try things. Oh, and at the end of every chapter of Bumping and Snacking, there is a recipe Mm -hmm. that relates to the chapter. Which is fabulous. Yeah. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for being on Served Up. 
You know, um, can you tell the listeners where they can find bumping and snacking? You can go to my website, which is uh, roberthafey.com. And that's R-O-B-E-R-T. And the last name is H-A-F as in Frank E-Y. Or you can go to Amazon. But on my website, there are links to Barnes and Noble and Amazon, every place else you can get the book. So, and then on roberthafey.com, my website, there's a photo gallery. So for each of the 20 chapters in Bumping and Snacking, you can go and look at photos that link to the chapters. And then uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, it's Bumping and Snacking. And uh, on Facebook, it's just uh, Robert Hafey. Thank you so much, Bob. On behalf of Served Up, I just want to wish you some great health and a lot of peace. Thank you for being on today's show. Cheers to you. Bridget, thank you so much for having me. Cheers to you as well. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!